Hello, this is 508. Good morning. And uh, this is about Worcester News. And it's February the 25th, 2011. I'm Michael Benedetti with Professor Michael True, Claire Schaefer Deppie, Professor Paul Ropp, and Brendan Malikin. How's How it going? Saying? Very good. Very good. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about nonviolence. We're going to be talking about violence. We're going to be talking about macaroni and cheese. We're going to be talking about all basically everything that makes this an exciting city to live in. Brendan, how are you doing today? Spectacular. Today we're at the offices of the Center for Nonviolent Solutions here in Worcester, and these three folks are here to tell us about uh, the center. Uh, in a second, then, we'll get on to talking about um, sort of fascists attempting and failing to organize in the city this week. Guys, how's it going? Very well. Thank Great. You. Thanks. I, I wanted to ask you um, about the history of the center. How did, how did this thing start? Well, it was... Uh, a very interesting way it happened. Um, <clears throat> some of us, have, many of us, have been involved in <clears throat> uh, issues and actions and nonviolence uh, over the past few years. And uh, Bill Dinsmore, a friend of mine, kept pushing me and said, now we've got to do something. Because we had arranged a, a committee several years ago on mm -hmm. nonviolent issues. But he, so he said, oh, we should call a group of people together. And we did. And these are the people who came. And it's been absolutely stunning in two years. What's been and achieved? Many, many others. And many others, of course. Yeah, yeah. we have an excellent board. Uh, Claire, every time I ask you about the center, you always tell me that things are very busy. What is? What is? What are you guys up to these days? Well, after about a year of creating mission, we've moved much more into implementing. And we should say that the mission for the center was inspired by the UN Declaration for Building a Culture of Peace, and the idea is to really help people understand that peace has to be built. It's not just a thing that we're all going to wait for. Okay. So to to go about that, we've devoted time to peace education. Uh, right now, we have two courses that are being taught in two of the Worcester Public Schools on peace building. One is a classroom course, and one's after school. And then there are two schools in which we're teaching a four-session class on nonviolent communication and that's through the auspices of the health program trying to help people you know understand what how you can respond to a conflict not seeing conflict as something that we avoid or deny or repress but in fact um, this kind of got to the anti-bullying conversation but but there are constructive ways to respond and they're an opportunity um, we just had an amazing workshop, a day-long workshop with community activists where we were training them on basic skills in nonviolent communication. And that was just remarkable. We had people, we had I think four continents represented, people from war zones, people from the inner city, and they all were so attentive to the material, so attentive to each other's stories. It was just this microcosm of maybe what people witnessed in Egypt, this desire to use your resources within yourself to make peace, to, to collaborate, to work together. So we just finished that. We um, have done a training with Dynamy Youth. Um, I could go on, but <laughs> Paul should say some of this stuff. I mean, it's, it's a lot to list in a short program. What did you want to say? Uh, well, I will tell you a little bit about this 10-week class that we have in two schools, and we're hoping okay. to spread this curriculum to other schools in the near future. Um, the center's idea is to try to address 
violence, the roots of violence, and to reduce violence at mm -hmm. all levels of society, starting with ourselves. Yeah. Um, and so in this 10-week curriculum, the first week we talk about inner peace. We teach a little bit about meditation um, <clears throat> and the ways that one can cultivate a sense of well-being and a sense of peace within oneself. Um, we think that that's the first step, in fact, to building peace. And then we talk about, we have a week on domestic violence. We have taken the, the students, we did this course last year once in the spring, and we're now doing two more, and we've revised it slightly. But we're, we uh, have a week on domestic violence. We took the students last year to Abby's house and had someone there talk to them about mm -hmm. the mission of Abby's house, of helping uh, battered women and children uh, who are in need of safe place to live. Um, we have a week that we spend on poverty and neighborhoods and gang violence. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, we have uh, a session on nonviolent communication and skill building in active listening and mediation. Mm -hmm. uh, one of our goals is to introduce peer mediation programs in the public schools. These are programs that train students to mediate conflicts between students and sometimes even between staff and students. Um, there was a program like this years ago at Burncoat High School mm -hmm. that uh, lost its funding and so it no longer exists, but our hope is to revive this program. It's a wonderful program in that uh, students learn the methods of conflict mediation and resolving conflicts without violence. Um, we then have several weeks where we talk about successful nonviolent movements in the modern world. Um, we have a week on Gandhi, a week on King and the Civil Rights Movement in the United States. Uh, we have a week on South Africa and the end of apartheid. Uh, <clears throat> and we end the course with uh, a week on volunteering for peace where we introduce students to the Peace Corps and talk about ways that individuals can be involved in building uh, a culture of peace and in reducing violence in the world. Okay. Right, Malikan. We're just going around the horn. <laughs> I just well I was just going to say I was just going to say um, I think we want to get back I think I want to get back to this but also I want to talk about I bring up two sorted things as a nice contrast to uh, to being to talking about nice things. <laughs> so we have is there anything to say about this bouncer video? I'm not really. Sure, I'm I pretty mean, sure there's not. Yeah, I'm sure there's plenty to say about it, but it, it's... It, the, I haven't seen this, if there is anything to say about it. Well, it's a seven-minute video, right? I mean, I've yeah, seen the video. I, I haven't seen yeah. anything commentary the, the, that's helpful. You know, the, the person who's been charged with crimes in the video, I mean, I've known since junior high school. I mean, I could talk for hours about the guy, and, you know, it, from in my experience, is always a heck of a nice guy, you know, it, but then you see that seven-minute video, and there's clearly something else happening there. Um, so, I mean, again, there's going to be some context missing, uh, and that's apparently why we have a judicial system to uh, review and expose that context. Maybe um, there so is. So maybe someday there will be something more to say about it. Right now, I'm kind of at a loss. All right. Well, then you want to talk about, I want to, well, maybe we could bring up Nazis then. We plenty to say about Nazis. So, so, here's the, so here's the deal about Nazis. So there's this, so, I'm, and we should call them half-assed Nazis, because they're not actually, like, Nazi Nazis that I know of. But, um... How many Nazis, actual Nazis, do you know? I've never <laughs> met an. I don't think I've ever met an actual Nazi. Um, um, I think they like the term white nationalists. I don't know if we're supposed to be. Nice you know what? Though these are all these are all propaganda terms. This is like so. So this is a group called New England White Pride, or no, I'm sorry, Northeast White Pride. Their their acronym never stands. You would think it would be either New England White Power or New England 
or Northeast White Power, but it's actually Northeast White Pride. And White Pride is like one of these, I don't know if it's a, you would call it a euphemism, propaganda term. Mm -hmm. You know, you got an Irish pride. We all know what that is. You got like black pride, gay pride. You know, all will know what that is. And those are all kind of similar. I mean, they're all sort right. of coming out of different histories and, you know, have a lot of different things involved with them, but they're all kind of similar. And then people are just like, let's just call something which is like white pride. And it's like, great, is it over here too? And it's like, no, it's like, it's just a euphemism <laughs> well, for crazy Nazis. So <laughs> it's, it's a euphemism for white supremacy. <laughs> this, uh, the Telegram Gazette article, all the comments are basically like, how can anybody be against white pride? Like, aren't white people allowed to be proud? And it's like, you're totally missing the fact that this is not about white pride. It's called, The words are white pride, but it's not about white pride. It's about... Michael, Michael you're quite lucky, I think, that you haven't met a Nazi. <laughs> I'm not I, from your generation. I'm not no, from the generation I, that I fought just, in the first I was just saying World the people War. that I worked for who were Nazis. <laughs> not really. I it's may have met exaggeration, but, but some people who are really uh, strong into the domination system um, I wanted to say a couple oh. of things, uh, if I may, about uh, what uh, Paul. Oh, and wait a second! Wait oh, a I want to. I want to. I, I, I want to explore. I appreciate season control of the show because <laughs> that's what I do the whole show is basically somebody's saying something really interesting and I'm like interrupt and say let's not okay. talk about that <laughs> so you should definitely do that as much as you need to do talk but, about Nazis all right I'll, let me let me talk about let me talk about this a little bit and then we'll get back and then we're definitely going to get back into talking about crap nonviolence. don't worry about that so this, this guy, these guys, I guess I've had a few meetings at the library. November, January. November, January, and they were going to have one in February. And uh, I guess some, some people who sort of pay attention to these groups noticed that they were having meetings in Worcester and had emailed the librarian, and the uh, head librarian, and the li head librarian was like, huh, and it was, this, this event was going to be, their meeting was going to be right at the same time as this Black History Month video was going to be shown. And uh, the head librarian calls like the city people officials, and he's like, "This might be a problem." And they're like, "Why don't you ask them to do it at a different time so we don't have a big public safety issue there?" And I don't know. And then so then the question is, what exactly happened? People who were calling the library the day before to find out what had happened were told, "Oh, we talked to this woman." And she agreed to cancel. And I guess that there are sort of two official organizers. One is a dude from New Hampshire, outside mm -hmm. agitator, and one is a woman from Worcester. The woman from Worcester not re returning anybody's phone calls, but according to everybody who called the library, this is who they talked to. Mm -hmm. The dude then later blogs on his blog. It was actually me. I also, maybe in addition or only, also canceled the thing. Then all afternoon, people are calling the dude, and the dude is like, oh, no, the thing is still on. Right. So even though this has been canceled, and never trust a Nazi. That's what I've learned, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so because even though this is like a big thing that it's been canceled... Or, po or postponed. Well, I think that is an important distinction, though, because it seems as though the group was trying to spin this as though the city of Worcester or some outside forces shut down their meeting, which, I mean, to actually do that would require a constitutional convention to shut down a public meeting like that, <laughs> yes. right? and I don't think we have the will to do that now. Uh, what it, they, they, were they were asked by both the library and some city officials to please reschedule their meeting or at least entertain the idea. And they as, said yes. And they agreed to that. And it... it not only did they agree to that, even before they had rescheduled, it seemed as though they were realizing that there was a lot of attention on their group and were very hesitant to, they, they seemed taken aback that, you know, folks from the Telegram might actually be calling to say, hey, what's going on with your uh, Nazi meeting? You know, they, they yeah. seemed really shocked that there was some outside attention. And it seems that that outside attention is actually what scared them off. Uh, in hindsight, 
they seem to be blaming this uh, primarily on the One People's Project down in Philadelphia, uh, and somehow in conjunction with a global cabal who is uh, seeking to repress their, their, their freedom of speech. I think listening to the folks who actually did come down on Wednesday, uh, hoping that they w might actually come down, it was just a lot maybe of... Maybe not hoping, maybe just worrying that they were going to well, come I, down. Well, but I think there was, there was a lot of uh, interest in, in maybe the potential for engagement there. I mean, yeah. it was going to be a public meeting in, a, in the Sachs room, which is a large room of the library, that there's no way, even according to their own numbers, they would have been able to fill. There could have been a lot of room for dialogue and exchange there, or just sitting and listening to what they have to say. So it it's, seems odd that they have spun the whole thing into, you know, Worcester is uh, not allowing us to speak freely or assemble, which is oh. clearly not the case. It was, I think, a lot of people were actually hoping that they would have the opportunity to assemble and speak freely so that then they could be called on the things that they were saying. Let me tell you, if you don't want, if you want to have your meeting and you think it's unfair that you're being asked to reschedule, you can say no. Exactly. You can make a thing out of it if you want to make a thing. It's out a public of it. space. I mean, the library adheres to um, the national. Uh, the, the the group just uh, escaped me here, but the national board that oversees public libraries and whatnot have pretty strict guidelines about keeping uh, public spaces open to the public and not discriminating against who is allowed to use those public meeting rooms. Uh, and the libraries made it clear that they're more than welcome to come back and use their space anytime they like. Uh, they just felt that this particular night. Uh, at the final night of their movie, um, th their movie series celebrating Black History Month might not be the ideal time for them to be having a, a meeting. Well, else, so outside this thing, you had, by my estimate, <clears throat> 25, by the newspaper's estimate, 40 people. Basically, and somebody was asking me, who were the people outside? It basically looked like the city of Worcester, you know, 70% white, you had blacks, Asians, Latinos. You had uh, Catholics, you had Protestants, you had atheists, you had the Jews, you had the gays, <laughs> you had the straights. <laughs> Um, well, I even had a guy come in from Boston who was involved with ripping the the the, uh, the pillowcase off the head of a, a Klan member that came to Boston in the late 70s, trying to organize in the wake of the bu the busing riots that took place in Boston. But a lot of um, people out. and had some actual experience to share with the group to say, look, I mean, this just showing up is really what you have to do to keep these people from organizing and growing. You don't have to try and suppress them. You just have to keep eyes on them and, and, and be aware that they actually are part of your community and that they're looking to grow their numbers. But making it known that they're there is oftentimes the best tool in keeping those numbers low. There you go. Inside the, inside the library, they had, did you want to say something? Well, yeah, I just, I, I'm a little concerned about the, the conflict as I've just, I have not been privy to it from a insider's perspective, but I think in, with respect to the conversation with the center and reducing conflict, um, that it's very important that I, I was grateful that the library suggested rescheduling, that people have that space as a public space to meet, even though their views, uh, that a group may hold views that are woefully mm -hmm. apart from, you know, building a culture of peace. But because violence, I think, is more likely to occur when people feel that there is not a space for them right. to state who they are, even if stating who they are initially is very problematic for other people. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the kind of engagement uh, that would be necessary in, in this, you know, for, or for a group, I always interpret groups that are eager to emphasize their particular identity almost in a, in a spirit of, of that they're being threatened by others. Mm -hmm. I, my own response is to give that person a little bit more space because they feel right. threatened for whatever reason. And then, uh, but I, I don't think you're going to have engagement at a street level. Yeah. <laughs> you have to have facilitated <laughs> conversation. I mean, we need to recognize 
the country is in an economic recession. Mm -hmm. It's changing in demographics very rapidly. And I think, uh, you know, that, that uh, cultures where people from all walks of life mix is a great blessing. But others, when their their jobs are threatened, they do look for scapegoats. So mm -hmm. those are deeper issues that might have nothing to do, uh, ultimately, you know, with Nazism. It's just sort of adapting a quick... Well, what you um, just define, I mean, is the more contemporary definition of fascism. I mean, we've been studying that since the, you know, the end of World War One, and, and it doesn't seem as though anybody's come to a really good uh, solution as to how we actually crack down on that. I mean, the early fascist movements were very similar in a way to what we're seeing here. I mean, a down economy, uh, more rural yes. mindsets and agrarian mindsets representing right. the working class, uh, viewing their mm -hmm. own problems as being the result of an other, you know, an undefined other. And then eventually that other is defined, and by the time that <clears> happens, <throat> the momentum is uh, oftentimes on the side of that movement, and it's very difficult to reel it back in. And then you have World War II. Um, yeah, no, I mean, and that's, yeah, I, no, I think you're absolutely right, but at some point in time, too, I think it is justified to at least keep an eye on what groups like this are doing. Oh, I, I, I... If only because much of what they say is wrapped up in conspiracy theory, right? Uh -huh. It's not wrapped up in a, a, a really well-reasoned ideology. It's they the same ideas that we've been banding about for 2,000 years about mm -hmm. uh, you know Jewish cabals running the world and what have you, which have always been excuses to marginalize and alienate uh, smaller populations. It's unfortunate that you know we're faced with that in 2011, but I don't know that the the rules have necessarily changed in terms of engagement or trying to. Uh, keep an eye on these things in real time as opposed to letting them fester behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. I, I want to finish telling the story of what happened <laughs> for people who weren't there. Inside, <coughs> they were showing a, a film, a documentary called The Souls of Black Girls, which is basically about uh, black women's self-image in the United States. And uh, they had a huge turnout. Like, <laughs> I was talking to a woman who organized it, and she was like, yeah, this is a lot more people <laughs> than usually turn out. Uh, it basically packed the... They had the smaller of the two meeting rooms at the library, and it was absolutely packed. And um, they had great discussion and conversation afterwards so th that if there was any people were like oh why were you out there protesting like nothing happened was this just all whatever like the thing that, the, the actual concrete thing that came out of this was really good discussion about black women's self-image in the united states mm -hmm. um and uh, it was a very interesting thing to be at actually because there was this concern for you know an hour or two beforehand that like there was going to be this white power white supremacist meeting so, like, basically, every white person who was walking in out of the library, people were like, does he, does he have a sweater under there somewhere? And uh, actually, before the, before the, before the thing, I, I went there with a friend of mine, and I, I thought she had gone in to see the movie, but I think she was out doing something else. So I'm, like, poking around the two meeting rooms trying to find her, and, uh, and one of the library staff like, from across the library is like, can I help you? <laughs> and uh, Julius Jones, who has been on the show before, who's a black guy with dreadlocks just takes a step towards me and goes he's all right <laughs> so that was my that was my that was our as julia said it was a cultural moment well if i if i can just interject yeah. and i've been talking too much here but no, no, no. power no. is such an important word isn't it and if we could have a little synthesis because people to want power we mm -hmm. all want power the problem, I believe, and why so much violence happens is we have such a crude understanding of how to get that power. Mm -hmm. We think we can get it through the uh, repression of another right. or, you know, through violent means. And what has been so significant in the black community in America is because they were without that resource, they could not, you know, they were 
uh, it was been, been suicidal to, to, to use violent means, just as it is, for example, in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. There are, they're definitely uneven. There's a disparity you sure. know, in violent resources for those two communities. So they found another form of power. They found an amazing form of power through their, their capacity to resist nonviolently. Mm -hmm. And there's the point of engagement with others who today feel that they are losing power. You know, whether they're a white group, whether they are, you know, a, a provincial group or somebody we don't sure. understand, they feel they're losing power. To sit and realize this is available to you. And, and there's a history about it. People have experimented with how they've, they've obtained it. We're seeing it emerge in Egypt. Um, it's not happenstance. And it's most understood, and at least this is my you know, humble experience of looking at conflict, or best represented by those who seem the weakest, mm -hmm. who seem to be losing. So, so this is a reassuring, you know, statement right. for the for the man in New Hampshire. <laughs> if you feel that your world is unraveling, you mm -hmm. don't need to be afraid. This power is available to you as well. Mm -hmm. And I love the Title One People's Project. I mean, I think so. I don't know if you want to throw in. No, I'm I'm just listening because I didn't know much about <laughs> the incident, so I'm learning so much. But it's a wonderful <laughs> moment to especially to hear Claire and Paul uh, talking because so many of these things I had learned, you know, as an academic in peace studies. And we have this great resource now. We have uh, 40 years of research on how nonviolence works. We have much more, of course. But uh, I'm glad that uh, Claire brought up the question of power because Martin Luther King talked about it all the time, the power of nonviolence. And uh, the, uh, we've seen the power of the people in Egypt. It's absolutely transformative. I, it's, it's, it's one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. So I guess what's exciting for me is having worked in peace studies to then have someone like Claire and, and Paul who are, are telling us how it, it's working right here in Worcester. And, and I think I'm very happy to hear the library has always been the most important uh, institution in town, as far as I'm concerned, and uh, that they were able to work this through, and to, that this uh, that this happened. This is this is what the this is why the center was brought into being was to uh, really address uh, conflicts of that kind or to try to help people who were involved in conflicts of this kind. Sure, I I wanted to say that I actually wanted to bring up something divisive briefly, and then we can go back into talking about something non-divisive. Um, that, uh, uh, like, the, the people, so the people who were out there definitely, to my mind, represented the cross-section of Worcester. Like, mm -hmm. It looked like Worcester out there. So it was a wonderful show of unity. The, the, the interesting dividing line to me, this was a surprising dividing line to me, is that some people were handing out flyers saying, like, we need to, we need to have anti-hate speech laws. Mm -hmm. We need to crack down on hate speech like they do in Europe, which... I would have to say the one place where the Europeans, I feel like, do a lot worse job in the United States is in racial tolerance. I Absolutely. don't know. Maybe that's oh, just because yeah. I read Absolutely. the New York Times and maybe they're anti-European. No, no. I don't know. I but I, I, it, was just, it was just surprising to me because I feel like one of these sort of like almost gut level beliefs that I have, like the belief that, you know, I don't know, my belief in, you know, mom, baseball, apple pie, Jesus Christ, and that well, the solution to bad speech is more speech, mm -hmm. not 
a politician telling right. you what to say. That was the problem I had with giving any sort of impression that folks are actually trying to stop this meeting from happening, right? I mean, that and that ends up feeding the fires that already exist, right? I mean, that there that, that you have a group that perceives itself right or wrong as being oppressed, and here they are being oppressed. You know, I mean, right. that, that's the, the wrong tactic to take. And yeah, I mean, you mentioned Europe, and Germany is probably a great example. I mean, there's no shortage of contemporary fascist movements alive and well in Germany, uh, and much of that can be blamed on what they view as their uh, rights of assembly and, um, you know, speech being restricted. Assembly is not so, it seems as though fascist movements are not restricted from assembling in Germany, but the country organizes on behalf of anti-fascist movements, mm -hmm. which they view as a form of state-supported uh, oppression. And it doesn't get anyone any closer to, closer to actually having a conversation, which seems to ultimately be the only thing that can fix some of these things. Yeah. Anyway, I just want to mention that it's an interesting place where I don't, I have no sense of what percentage of people, I always thought that that was a very small fringe view that like, we should restrict hate speech, but I don't know. Apparently, not. it seems we even had city councilors that were saying that, that we just can't allow this to happen. And again, I mean, it's it might be the knee-jerk reaction, but I, I believe that again, uh, barring a constitutional convention, it would be very difficult to uh, to keep people from organizing uh, or assembling here in the United States on any level. All right, so that's all I wanted to say. I just wanted to say that I think it's a very it's, it's a wonderful example of the way in which violence permeates. In the past couple of weeks, uh, permeates everything from the local level to the international level, mm -hmm. and how we really have to work at the local, national, international level, and that the research is overwhelming about how this can be dealt with, mm -hmm. uh, and and the tactics, the strategies, the methods that can be used. And so it's wonderful to see that they're being applied here in Worcester. And I hope the center uh, will inspire and and encourage that kind of ongoing effort. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Can I do make a pitch? But you you can help me here. So the the center is a resource as well. In addition to doing these um, programs for schools, and we do have a number of movies. And since this is Black History Month, I want to do a pitch for Spike Lee's uh, documentary for Little Girls of Birmingham. That uh, is a the story of the bombing in Birmingham. It's uh, on one level a very sad story, but on another level, it's addressing this example of people really pioneering this new power that I was talking about. And when you look at it now in the context of Egypt, there's so many parallels. I mean, you see these organizers in Birmingham, a very, very segregated city. Yeah. I mean, it was not just people meeting in the library with problematic views. They were bombing the homes of black people. So the stakes were extremely high to address that, but the violence was also intolerable. And so what is available to the bombed is these, this, this news source. And you really see how they try to figure it out in, in the dark. And it's quite, so we have it and you can get it at the center. Paul's uh, got me onto it. <laughs> March, 7, March 19th is our annual meeting no, at the Worcester good. Public Library, and I'd like to invite everybody to come. We'll have an excellent speaker, David Adams, who was head of the task force for the Center for the Culture of Peace and Nonviolence for the Children of the World. Uh, he worked with UNESCO. So uh, this is uh, an opportunity to hear some of the beginnings of this long effort uh, internationally, because that uh, particular document, the UN Decade for the Culture of Peace, was passed by all 189 nations in the UN. So it's a useful document, and we, we really hope that we can bring it to life in Worcester mm -hmm. in many, many ways. Well, so I, I'm going to take a minute to recap some stuff from past shows, and then hopefully we have a minute to close here. Um, we got. What do, what do we have here for 
stuff from last shows. Resilient communities, people are still meeting to update. There's Goddard School testing controversy. Lots of information coming out. I have no idea what's going on. We'll have Tracy Novick on again to, to try to recap that. Co-working, nothing is going on really with co-working. Start in the Street is coming up on May 22nd. The Vegan Macaroni and Cheese Competition is at the Firehouse this weekend, Saturday night. If you want to be the, quote, Mac Daddy by winning that competition, this is your opportunity. We got a long comment uh, writing about last week's show. First asking me about the... I had these amazing red shoes on last week that I had won at a raffle, saying, what animals were these made from? What kind of factories? I have to say, I'm sure that the, just the uh, materials and the conditions for the manufacturing of the shoes is horrific as far as I know. Uh, the mentioning about the city's new snowthrower. Have you seen this new city, new gigantic snowblower they have? It's amazing. Really great. Watch last week's episode. We just played the video over and over again. Um, <laughs> they, they, they mentioned that uh, somebody somebody told this guy that they put a ton of salt on the street after the thrower comes by because it kind of leaves a weird layer of slush. And we were just coming in. At least in some places, the layer of slush then rehardens. But So I guess that they realized that you got to watch out about that. There's some stuff about... Uh, My relatives from Wisconsin, by the way, are very happy that Massachusetts has finally found some snowblowers. We finally have our act together. <laughs> well, this is commenting on uh, various insults being cast at Gary Rosen in the NCD Times. This week, actually, Gary Rosen now being called a racist in the NCD Times. Oh. Um, mentioning Gary Rosen, beloved of this, beloved of this show, just, right. because, just because he's a heck of a guy. Um, fin, mention, writing a little bit about Finland, writing a little bit about... With a pip and mentioning that maybe the net, the Piedmont Neighborhood Network Center should be moved over to Main Street. Different neighborhood, though. I don't know why that would be. Um, I don't know. That was those basically comments we got from last week's show. Do you guys have? Uh, we have about a minute left. Do you guys have another little? Paul, you want to finish us up here? Um, I think I would. One of the things that we want to do also is to point out the ineffectiveness of violence and the costs of violence which we often underestimate in this country, especially in our international and foreign policy. Um, I think we concluded from World War II that violence really is a good thing, and uh, we vastly underestimate the cost of violence and its ineffectiveness. We have not won, we've not made ourselves more safe and secure in this country with our two wars, three billion dollars. Um, <clears throat> I have to cut you off because we have about 15 seconds mm -hmm. left. But thanks for being on the show, guys. Brendan Malikin, thanks for being on the show. We'll talk to you all next week. 30 minutes now.